State of our union is strong, they say. Well, surprisingly, I'm one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. My name is Caleb, and today we are kicking off uh, a series. Before we do that, though, I wanted to uh, just say thank you to a couple uh, of folks. Uh, huge thanks to those of you that served last week here at Desert Springs. We had uh, over 500 people join us for our outdoor communion service. Uh, that, if you, if you participated in that, was that, a, was that a good time? Yeah. So just... Huge, huge amounts of work went into making that happen, and I'm so thankful uh, for those that served uh, and served us last week for that. Thank you guys so much for serving. Uh, we look forward to doing it again in the future. Uh, the second thing I want to say thank you for is there is a crew from Desert Springs last week, and actually I think on Friday or Saturday, on Friday, uh, that served with Habitat for Humanity uh, downtown. So we are gearing up as a church family uh, in our partnership with Habitat for Humanity as part of our Build 100 vision. Uh, we want to see 100 homes built or uh, rebuilt or refurbished uh, for under-resourced uh, families in our community, and just right down the street actually, just about three miles uh, west of here in a community that's often referred to as Palomino. And so we're gearing up for that. Uh, but as we gear up for that, that means a lot of us uh, in our church family are going through training and actually getting our hands uh, uh, dirty so far just with Habitat for Humanity and another project they have uh, downtown. So a uh, huge thanks to those of you that showed up for those projects. And I wanted to encourage you as well, out in the lobby, off to the left-hand side, you'll see a, a, our Build 100 booth kind of set up. And, and there is information for how you can donate directly directly to Habitat and take advantage of the Arizona tax credit. So uh, we need to raise about $200,000 before we can jumpstart the Habitat for Humanity project here in North Phoenix. 150,000 of that has already been raised. Uh, thank you so much for your generosity. It's not just our church family, but also local businesses and other churches as well that are pitching in. But we need that, that other 50 to come in before we're able to kickstart uh, this project. And by the way, means for about six months that we're doing some preliminary work in the neighborhood, surveying and things like that. And then hopefully we're swinging hammers by this fall. Uh, but we need to see that $50,000 come in. If you have not yet filed your taxes, you can donate to Habitat for Humanity and take advantage of either a $400 uh, if you file single or um, $800 if you file joint. You can take advantage of that dollar for dollar Arizona tax credit. And there's more information on uh, how to donate as well as the Arizona Arizona tax credit out in the lobby. And so make sure you grab that. Uh, you can join my wife and I. We took advantage of that um, uh, this year and uh, we're in the process of filing our taxes right now. So that was helpful to us. And on that card that says, give the gift of home, there's instructions there on how to give directly to Habitat. So I wanna be real clear. Please do not donate to Desert Springs asking us to donate on your behalf. You will not be able to take advantage of the Arizona tax credit that way. So if you want that tax credit, give it directly to Habitat. Just make sure you note that it's for the Palomino neighborhood. All of that information is there on the card in the lobby. And thank you so much for those of you who are participating in helping us provide homes for underserved families in our neighborhood. This is, these are our families and it's our neighborhood and Jesus calls us to do it. So I'm so thankful uh, to you for uh, rising to the challenge. Now we are kicking off a new series today called Kingdom Come. And uh, have you guys ever heard that phrase before? There's this old school prayer that I learned when I was growing up, and it goes like this. I learned it the old-fashioned way. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then there's this add-on that, that isn't actually recorded. Jesus didn't actually say these words as recorded in Matthew, but you do find it later in Scripture. In fact, we sung some of it just a moment ago, and it says this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And that either means nothing or it means everything. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a, a fancy thing we say to each other to encourage each other. Either that radically shapes our whole life or it means nothing. There really is no in between. And even that prayer, thy kingdom come, it's a sense of longing. We long for God's kingdom to come in its fullness. We say, God, we, we want an end to suffering. We want an end to injustice. We want an end to pain and evil. God, we want your kingdom in its fullness to come. There are some of us who have been praying that even this week. Now, sometimes it sounds like this. God, where are you? God, how could you let this happen? God, fix this. Those are all versions of the prayer. Thy kingdom come. If it's true that the kingdom has come, and if, if Jesus wasn't lying, then it has, then it shapes everything. It shapes our views of power, especially in a world where it seems like the only way to gain and maintain power is to abuse others. The kingdom of God coming in its fullness shapes our view of power. It also shapes our view of politics. And in a world of empty promises, in a world of injustice, we long for a kingdom that actually fulfills what it promises, no? And if it's true that the kingdom of God has come, if it's true that the kingdom of God is everything, now watch this now, then it even calls us to shape our allegiances differently. In fact, Jesus demands for all who turn and follow him, he says, either I'm the king or I'm not. There's no middle ground. And so either he's the king and therefore my primary allegiance is to him or it's meaningless. There is no middle ground. There are many of us who think Jesus is simply a good teacher and there are many of us in this particular cultural moment who are leveraging the words of Jesus to try to gain or maintain power, to try to pursue political pursuits or to try to demand someone else's, someone else's allegiance. In fact, if you just listen to the rhetoric that's going right on right now in this nation and almost every nation around the world, God's name seems to be used a lot. In fact, God seems to be approving of everything that every leader in power seems to be doing according to their own rhetoric. Even when nations war against each other, they will oftentimes, if not always, invoke the name of God, however they understand that God to be. And they will say things that are so dangerous, like, we're going to usher in the kingdom of God. How are we going to do that, leader? Well, by killing all the bad people, of course. But that is not the kingdom of God. No, that is the kingdoms of this world. But if the kingdom of God is real, then it shapes everything. 
Now, I want to encourage you uh, throughout this six-week series, I want to encourage you, if you at all, uh, as, as I'm speaking or, or whoever is preaching, and, and, and we've got a variety of different speakers that are going to be here, uh, if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel tense, if you feel disappointed, if you feel confused, if you feel angry, if you feel uh, sad and let down, I want to encourage you, don't run from that. In fact, those feelings are often how we articulate what it feels like when the Spirit of God does work on us. Now, that's not to say that everything that's said from the stage is of God. I certainly would not want to give you that impression. But to put it another way, if we're not changing, then what are we doing? And do you know change is not easy? Y'all ever been to the gym? Right, it's about January time, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, you know what, things are not as they should be. We need to make a change. And then you go to the gym and you start taking things out of your pantry and throwing them away. Is that comfortable? Do you not, don't your muscles hurt? Aren't you sweating? Don't you feel tense, sad? Sometimes, oftentimes disappointed, oftentimes angry and hangry. You see, when we change, that's how it oftentimes feels. And so I I just want to encourage you, we're going to lean into some things as it relates to the kingdom of God and our particular cultural moment, especially next week. It's it's one of those, let's see if Caleb gets fired Sundays. Uh, We are really going to go hard on the pain on this because if the kingdom of God is what Jesus says it is, it means everything and it shapes everything and it demands everything of us. There's really no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. In fact, I'd I, I like to just show you what he says. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, it says this. We put it up here on the screen. This is Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1. So this is right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, verses 14 and 15. Now, Jesus went to Galilee, so Middle East. I uh, went to uh, Galilee, a region in the Middle East, proclaiming the good news of God. TV time out. Have you ever heard the word, the gospel? Talk to me. You guys ever heard the word, the gospel? I just said it twice. Have you ever heard the word, gospel? Yeah. Okay, so we know that there's a type of music. We know that it's, we'll say like it's a gospel-centered church or we'll say like, have you heard of the gospel? But, but many of us are in a, uh, we're just not even sure what is the gospel. Okay, so gospel is simply the phrase good news. It's a translation that we got, actually a transliteration that we got over the, these many years. Jesus showed up proclaiming the gospel. Jesus showed up proclaiming good news. Okay, you with me so far? So what is gospel? Good news. It's, that's, it's, there's nothing magic about it. The gospel is good news. Proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel of God. This is what Jesus said. So what is the good news, right? So if someone comes up to you and says, hey, have you heard the news? And you say, what's the news? What good news? Here's the answer. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, we're going to dive into this. I love this. Okay, so Jesus here, the, what, what, watch the first thing he says. He's proclaiming the good news, okay? So that phrase, it's more than, we think of news, um, oh my goodness, so especially in this culture, uh, we're consumeristic and our news outlets, you actually pay money to subscribe or they make money, so there's a lot of consumerism and stuff like that in our news outlets. I, I don't even know if you can call what we call news actually 
you know, news oftentimes. Sometimes it's just media and entertainment. And, uh, and, and God bless journalists who are trying in this day and age. It is so hard to be a, an ethical journalist. I, I feel for you. If you're in the journalism industry, I'm so thankful uh, that you're trying to follow Jesus in journalism because you, you know as well as many of us that oftentimes what we call news is entertainment. When we talk about news or good news, we don't just mean a thing I turn on the TV that makes me happy. This good news, this phrase, good news, is a, it's, it's a technical term to, that was oftentimes uh, used, especially in the Roman Empire, to talk about, by, by, uh, used by public heralds who would say, good news or gospel. And then what they would oftentimes tell you is the birth of a new prince or a new ruler or the death of an enemy, or the conquering, uh, uh, the fact that our king conquered in war. It was a political military term used to talk about uh, there's a shift in power, and it's probably for our benefit. And so you have ancient documents that say things like this, the good news of Caesar Augustus. And then it would go on to talk about, you know, his inauguration and him coming to power. And so this phrase, the good news of the kingdom, everyone who heard Jesus open his mouth and say these words knew of that phrase as a military political term. There's a shift in leadership and it's for your benefit. You with me so far? There's a new king and it's for your good. Now, many of us, we live in a culture where we think the gospel is summarized like this. If you say a prayer, you get to go to heaven when you die. And so say the prayer, right, and then go to heaven when you die. Many people say that's the good news. But I want you to know that Jesus never, ever, ever says that the gospel is anything close to say a prayer and go to heaven when you die. In fact, the phrase, go to heaven when you die, is nowhere in the Bible. What Jesus proclaims, the good news that Jesus proclaims is there's a new king and it's for your good. I mean, listen, don't you see it? Proclaiming the good news. What's the news? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus, if you just read through the gospels, which you totally should, the thing that Jesus, at least to my count, talks about the most isn't love your neighbor as yourself, isn't here's how to pray, the thing that is on Jesus' lips all the time, especially in public proclamations, is this, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus is either proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, or he's telling you how it shows up, or he's telling you how to live in light of that truth. Have you ever received news that has shaped your life? Come on, of course you have. Have you ever received news that has shaped your life? Could be good news, could be bad news. Some of us have gotten the doctor, the news from the doctor radically shaped, like in the instant it shapes our life, right? Some of us have good news, right? I remember the first time uh, Lori told me uh, that she was pregnant. I was like, oh. And I remember the fourth time. Hmm? This news radically shapes your life. Like we have to buy a bus. <laughs> right? Have you ever received news that radically shapes your life? Yes. So I was talking with a friend of mine. He works uh, in adoption foster care here in the state. And one of the things that he reminded me of is for kids who are in foster care, who are seeking adoption, for kids who don't have a home to call their own, there's a real special day for some of them, not all, but there's a real special day where they get good news. 
someone says, you're our family now. This is your home. I'm your mom and your dad. These are your siblings, your family here now. Now, for many children, and many of you have been adopted, you know this, especially if you were adopted later in life, many children who are adopted find it sometimes difficult to live in light of the new news. Sometimes we revert back to old behavior. And so the mom or the dad have to say things like, honey, you don't have to lie, cheat, and steal anymore. You don't have to fend for yourself anymore. You might have had to do that on the street or in the system, but honey, you're home now. Live in light of that good news. And you know, for those of us that follow after Jesus, we're brought in, into the family. In fact, Jesus, uh, the scriptures use the language of adoption. We're brought into the family, but don't you, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, haven't you found it sometimes difficult to live in light of this truth? And Jesus is saying, the good news is here. The good news is the kingdom of God is here. Now let's live in light of this truth. This idea of the proclamation of the good news, it's all throughout the scripture, and it's so beautifully illustrated by uh, the crew at the Bible Project. In fact, we've got a video I wanted to show you just to help us get a a, a bigger understanding of what it means to proclaim good news. Uh, So take a look at this. They do such a great job. So the good news is... Not primarily, go to heaven when I die. The good news is, there's a king who's been enthroned, and it's for your good. So listen more to what Jesus says. He says, uh, proclaiming the good news of what? Good news of the kingdom of God. All throughout the Gospels, you'll hear Jesus saying, there's good news, friends, and it's that the kingdom of God has come. Now, what kind of a kingdom is the kingdom of God? You know, the kingdoms of this world, you know how they maintain power? You ever seen it? How do you maintain power for the kingdom of this world? You have a really strong what? Military. And how do you keep power? You kill the bad guys. Now, I am certainly not arguing against having a military. Christians throughout the ages have wrestled with it and come down in different places. But here's what I'm getting at. How do the kingdoms of this world maintain power? By dealing death. And death is the enemy, no? Death is not of the kingdom of God. Let's flip it. In your workplace, or in your family, or in your social network, how do you maintain power? By destroying others, or at least making others look bad. It is oftentimes up close and personal for us when someone who's malicious, who's unethical, who's devious, gets promoted. Why? Not because they're living in line with the kingdom of God, but they're, they're usually told, actually in sales meetings, we're often told, You're either building your kingdom or somebody else's. What's that? Well, it's exactly contrary to what Jesus called us to do, no? You see, the powers of this world maintain their power by the threat of death. The reason that I'm afraid of uh, 
evil power or people who wield power is because I am afraid that they're going to deal death to me. And so when Jesus was risen, he showed me what? What did he show us? What was conquered that day? Evil, the evil one, and what else was conquered? Death, which means I can live knowing that there's a king who's conquered over death, so death is not my final enemy, which means that the kingdoms of this world have been disarmed. By the way, do you think they killed Jesus because he was a good teacher? Why did they kill Jesus? They wrote it over his head. He was a threat to power. He was claiming to be what? The king. He was claiming to be the king, but not a king of this world. In fact, even the best kingdoms of this world get a C minus at best. If you use the teachings of Jesus as the metric for health. Do we not long for a greater kingdom than the kingdoms of this world? Are we not sick and tired of the empty promises, the abuses of power, the endless cycle of death, betrayal, perversion, and despair? Do you not long for the kingdom of God to come? Maybe it's just me. I want to encourage you, especially in these coming months, you will hear a lot of promises by a lot of people in power. And I just want to encourage you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's another uh, infamous song that goes like this. All my hope is in Jesus. All my hope. Let your hope rest in the king who has come. What kind of a kingdom is the kingdom of God? What Jesus tells us, I'll, I'll just give you some of the highlight reel. you find most of this in uh, Matthew chapter five. Uh, there's this infamous sermon uh, that he did. It was called the Sermon on the, um, Sermon on the, no, 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 no. It was the desert. It was the Sermon on the Pyramid. Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. That's right. Yeah, good. I knew it. I was just testing you guys. Uh, so, Sermon on the Mount. Here are some of the highlights. Blessed are the violent and those who grasp power for themselves and maintain it through violence. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) That's a different sermon. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus in uh, Mark chapter 9 says, if you want to be the best leader, If you want to be the first among your peers, you will choose to be the last. The first shall be last. It's the upside down kingdom. Who gets into God's kingdom? Only the powerful and mighty? Only those who can be leveraged by God for his good purposes? Who gets called into God's kingdom? By the way, this is what made it so dangerous. Who gets invited into the kingdom of God? You already know the answer. You've seen it at football games. John 3.16 For God so loved the, who gets invited in? Everybody. Even the pimps and the prostitutes? In fact, Jesus says the pimps and the prostitutes figure out the kingdom of God before the wealthy and the powerful. 
You see, in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, it's the weak and the marginalized who are actually elevated as those to, who we're supposed to model our life after. What kind of a kingdom is the kingdom of God? It's a kingdom in where our hope is not in Caesar, but our hope is in the true king. Jesus even says to a bunch of disciples who were worrying about their future, they were worrying about the economy, and they were worried about famine. And you know what Jesus says to them? Look at the birds. Doesn't God take care of the birds? Will not God take care of you as well? To put it another way, the kingdom of God is here. So don't fret. Don't be consumed with worry and fear. Rather, say things like, all my hope, it's in Jesus, because he's the king. What kind of a kingdom is the kingdom of God? What do we do to our enemies in the kingdoms of this world? What do you do to your enemies in the kingdoms of this world? In the kingdoms of this world, you call someone enemy and you have to conquer them. You have to defeat them. It's the only way to win. But in the kingdom of God, what does Jesus say to do to our enemies? Love them. Pray for their good. I mean, I think it's easy to pray for our enemies. God, I kill them. Amen. Right? But it's not just praying for their demise, it's praying for their good. Jesus on the cross being crucified at the hands of his own creation said, Father, forgive them. It's the upside down kingdom. What kind of a, king, what, what kind of a kingdom is the kingdom of God? It's the type of kingdom in where the king is enthroned, not with a crown of gold, but with a crown of thorns. That imagery, as, we, as, we, as we're in the middle of uh, the Lenten season and approaching Good Friday and Easter here in just a few weeks, that scene of Jesus with the crown of thorns, the gospel authors all highlight it and they're pointing it to you because they're saying, what kind of a kingdom did Jesus usher in? The type of kingdom where the king wears a crown, not of gold, but of what? Thorns. He's enthroned through suffering. Okay, brass tacks. If it's true that he is the king over the whole cosmos, if it's true that he holds the entire universe together in the palm of his hand, if it's true that he is who he says he is, and he's the king, and he's enthroned, and it's for your good, then what does it mean to live as citizens of the kingdom of God now in the midst of the kingdom of this world? What does it look like to live right now as citizens of the kingdom of God, while we also have dual citizenship in the kingdoms of this world. I, I believe that Jesus calls us to be the best citizens of the kingdoms of this world that we can possibly be by pledging our ultimate allegiance to him as citizens of his kingdom. If, you want to, if you're an American citizen, which I know not all of us are, but whatever, citizen, whatever country you're from, let's say America, if you're an American citizen, I believe that Jesus teaches us that the way to be the best, to be the best American citizen you can be is to live the kingdom of God now in and amongst your peers. In fact, I believe that the church is meant to be an embassy in every nation showing every community 
that desperately needs Jesus, showing those communities, regardless of what kingdoms of this world they currently call home, I believe that the church is an embassy meant to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come in its fullness in Jesus Christ and is being lived out now through us. As we do not murder each other and lie to each other and gossip about each other and kill one another and destroy one another, but rather we lay down our lives, our preferences, we defer to the other, we show grace, we show love, we show mercy, because in this house, we don't have to live according to the power structures of that old family. Just like that adopted child brought in is constantly wrestling with, how do I live now in light of this good news that I am part of the family? So too, we are constantly reminding ourselves, no, no, we are members of the household of God. We read it just a moment ago. We are citizens of his kingdom. And so we live, church family, we live as ambassadors or we live as a human embassy showcasing what it means to be children of God by living as citizens of the kingdom of God day by day, moment by moment, even though we currently live in a kingdom of this world. And most of our stress, tension, frustration, disappointment, anger, sadness, it comes from trying to figure out how to do that, right? It's meant to be a wrestling match because no kingdom of this world is the kingdom of God. I love the country that I was born in. I love the country that I'm a citizen of, but I know for a fact that America is not the kingdom of God. I know it because I see people still abused, still disenfranchised, I see power brokers leveraging their, their power through violence and deceit. And I know it's not the kingdom. And so I have to keep going back to saying all my hope is in Jesus. Because the kingdom of God has come. And it continues to until that day when it comes in its fullness when we're once again reunited with Jesus. And until that day, I want to live in light of this good news. What about you? Are there portions of your life, your, your, your money, how you think about sex, your family, your power, your leadership, are there portions of your life that you are in the midst of, consciously or subconsciously, you are in the midst of rebelling against God, saying, no, no, you're not the king here. I know that in my heart, there are a few areas that I am still trying to maintain sovereignty. But there's so much freedom in just saying, Jesus, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All my hope is in Jesus. There is a freedom that comes from saying the kingdoms of this world have become and are becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. What does it look like for you to live in light of this truth? Day by day, moment by moment, citizens of the kingdom of God. As a church family, we want to put this into practice. We want to live this out. Uh, Pastor Matt mentioned it a moment ago, the next steps. Uh, you'll see this all over the place. You'll see those next steps in the back of the seat in front of you. There's, there's just two key things I want to encourage you in. One of the ways that we show 
to our community that we are self-identifying as a citizen into the kingdom of God is through baptism. You'll see it up there uh, near the top of our next steps. And if you'd like to be baptized, if you haven't been baptized yet and you'd like to be baptized, we would love to help you take that next step anytime. Uh, but especially, um, we have a special uh, baptism opportunity on Easter Sunday uh, during our three services. We're going to host uh, open baptism. So if you'd like to be baptized, let us know. If you'd like to be baptized on Easter, that's an awesome day uh, to be baptized. We'd love to help you take that step. If you'd like to be baptized, you can just use that next steps card. Check the box on there and drop it in the metal boxes mounted on the wall next to the door or take it to direct and connect. The second thing is this. This does not come about. A church faithfully living out the kingdom of God does not come about without being saturated in prayer. And I know that for many of you who are part of the Rooted experience, you're going through that uh, right now in uh, community groups. Uh, This week or next week, depending on how uh, you've structured it, uh, you're going to be encouraged to pray praying, uh, I believe, up to two hours. I know my group's going to be doing that tomorrow night. I just want to encourage you, if, if you're feeling weird about praying for two hours straight with a small group of people, welcome to the club. Um, for my Pentecostals and Charismatics in the house, you're like, what's wrong with these people? I know, I know. I want to just encourage you, in the midst of that tension or anxiety or fear, it may be that the Spirit of God wants to do a work in you, even through praying for an extended period of time. So I'm going to encourage you, There's going to be a reason not to show up, and there's good reasons. Show up. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do as part of our time together in prayer. Please pray that the Spirit of God would do such a work in and through this church family that North Phoenix would see that there's a new king in town. Let me pray.